Well, if you want to be turning in your Bibles this morning, I'm going to read a story in just a few minutes. I'm not going to start out with the reading. It'll take me a minute to get there. It's going to be in 1 Kings chapter 19. I'm going to talk about something this morning. I'm going to talk about depression. Seems bad enough, but a lot of people seem to deal with different things of depression. As I was studying this week, Lord not only gave me this, but I learned something this week in studying and, and reading. I learned that there's been a time in my life when I went through a pretty serious depression and didn't even know it. I, I know there was a time in my life, and I've already talked to another brother this morning. He didn't even know what I was preaching on. But he was talking about the day he was sitting there with a gun cocked bullet to his head about to get rid of his own life, and the phone rang. I was just as close. I had it all planned out where it would be witnessed and somebody would see it and it would be viewed as an accident so that insurance would pay off and money would take care of my family. At some point in every life, we deal with things that just seem bigger than ourselves. And in my situation, I was making a whole lot of money. My family was doing well. We had food on the table. Our health was good. But yet, life seemed to be overwhelming. So this morning... I'm going to read a story in just a few minutes when I get to it. But the first thing, I want to look at some questions. Has anybody in here ever dealt with any form of depression? Depression's a very serious deal. Maybe you've not even known that you dealt with depressions. Let me ask you, have you ever felt like quitting? Have you ever felt like just throwing in the towel? You ever felt like this is all there is to life? I ju I'm just going to quit. There, there's not any joy in anything anymore. It seems like everything's backing up. Everything comes against me. I I'm just done with it. There, there's things that you used to love to do and you no longer find yourself doing them. Maybe you like doing things outdoors, hunting, fishing, biking, canoeing, whatever you did. Maybe it's indoors, sewing, painting, shopping. I don't know. But you had things that you loved to do. You used to do those things. You found great joy. And now you can't even find yourself doing those. You don't want to do anything. Whatever it was, you just don't have time to do those things anymore. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Those are signs of depression. Many people deal with depression. As a matter of fact, statistics show that almost every human being on this planet at some point in their life will deal with some form of depression. And if you don't, you will know someone who does. If you don't, it will probably be somebody in your family that will. So I obviously have no idea who you are. Some people do a very good job of disguising it. Others, not so much. So I don't know who you are in the building. I don't know who you are on live stream. I don't know who it is on the television program. But I do believe that God has some help for somebody in this building or listening by, by way of the airways. But I believe that God has some help for somebody this morning. When I got up, I was reviewing once again this morning. I was studying earlier, and I said, God, why depression? Why am I preaching this message? And I was on the way here, and somebody that, that is from another church across town that I haven't seen in quite some time sent me a message, said, hey, I want you to know God has laid you on my heart this morning, and I'm praying for you. So they didn't know what I was questioning in my mind but, you know, it dawned on me. I told him at the rock altar praying, it dawned on me for the first time. That means that God was thinking about me this morning. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Yes. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the message. Thank you for your book. Thank you for the word. And God, I thank you, Lord, that I can stand here in full assurance and full confidence in knowing that my God is enough. And, God, you've always been enough. You are enough, and you'll always be enough. And, Lord, that you paid for all my sins of my past, all the sins of my present, all the sins of my future. And, God, there's a better life coming. And, God, I have all of eternity to look forward to. But, God, I can, I can be promised of great things in this life, God. 
I can be used of you in this life, Father. I pray this morning, Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would just move amongst your people. I pray that your perfect will would be done. May you speak to everybody in this place according to your own perfect will. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, can, can I tell you this morning, depression is no respecter of persons. It, it doesn't go around anybody. It doesn't avoid anybody. Depression strikes the younger. Depression strikes the elder. Depression strikes those that are somewhere in between. Depression strikes the rich. Depression strikes the poor. As a matter of fact, I read something this week that said that a man, the kind of middle class with money, was talking to a very wealthy man one day, and he said, he told that wealthy man, he said, I have so much more than you do. He said, how do you figure? He said, because you're too busy trying to get more because you don't think you've got enough, and I'm very happy with what I have. Depression strikes every color. It doesn't matter what language you speak. It absolutely shows no boundaries. It comes for everybody. Emotions change. Your circumstances change. But depression is more than, than just emotions. Depression is a condition. It's more than just having a bad day. It's more than just having a bad week. It's something that pulls people down. It, it strikes the Christian just like it does the non-Christian. People like to be all super spiritual and say, I'm too blessed to be stressed. I'm too blessed to be depressed. Let me tell you something. Everybody on this planet is blessed that you're breathing God's fresh air. It has nothing to do with being blessed. It's not about the blessing. It's just things that we go through. Amen? Most people are ashamed to admit that they're dealing with depression. We live in a society that says, just get over it. Just be happy. Man, just, just think positive thoughts. Just, just get past it. We have those who are super spiritual say, well, if you're living right with God, then you won't have to worry about depression. That's a lie. That's a lie. That's like saying, if you're living right with God, you won't ever have to worry about cancer. If you're living right with God, you'll never have to worry about heart disease. Oh, if you're living right with God, you'll never have blood pressure issues. You'll never have to deal with getting Alzheimer's or any of those. The fact is, it is a condition. It's not a choice. You don't just get to choose. There's different types of depression. There's physical depressions, and those things can be helped by professional doctors. You can go, and a lot of medication can take care of chemical imbalances and can do things to help with those types of depression. There's emotional depressions, and that takes professional counselors and some people to help to guide through and get through. But there's also spiritual depressions. And that's what I want to talk about this morning is spiritual depression. I do want to do one thing real quick before I talk about spiritual depression. One of the ways that I know that I went through a time of depression, didn't even know that's what it was, is because I've read this book a few times. This is Dr. Craig Edwards wrote this book on what, every, on what Christians need to know about depression. I've been told it's one of the best books ever written on depression. I don't know. But again, I didn't know I'd been depressed until I read the book. But I, but I do know I considered ending everything. But here's what I'm going to do. If, if you're struggling in any kind of way with depression, and you'll promise me this is a 30-minute read tops. If you'll take a highlighter and a pen and make some notes, this is a one-hour read to study, you really ought to go home and read it today. 
If you've not read this book, you don't have this book by Dr. Craig Edwards. If you're dealing in any way with depression, if you promise me you'll read this book by Tuesday. If you ain't read it by Tuesday, you owe me $20. If you'll promise you'll read this book, I have eight of them right here. If you'll come see me after the service, I'll give you one of these. And if I don't have enough up here, I have some more in the office. But I believe it's a very good book that can help some people. Some of the things that I'll use this morning come from Dr. Craig Edwards' books, a few of the things, but most of them I'm dealing with spiritual depression, so they won't. So I've asked you this question before, and, and before I get here to 1 Kings chapter 19, let me ask you one more time. Have you ever been in a situation, have you ever asked the question, God, where are you? God, where are you? I don't feel you. I don't hear you. I don't see you. I am drowning, God. I'm looking. You don't have to raise your hand, but I, I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one, but I promise you I'm one of the ones that has said, God, where are you? But what about this question? Has God ever come to you and said, what are you doing here? What are you doing in this place. Here in 1 Kings chapter 19, we are on the heels of one of the greatest victories in all of the Bible. I know about Gideon's army, and I know about breaking of the glass and the candles and the hundreds of thousands of soldiers that run, and I know about how Abraham went and, and just destroyed, defeated the five kings and brought the spoils back. I know there's many great victories in David and Goliath and all the stuff, but I believe this is one of the greatest victories in all the Bible. And what we have here is this great man of God has gone up for this showdown. He has brought out all 450 pro false prophets of Baal. He's had the showdown. He's watched them cut themselves or everything. He's had the sacrifice soaked with wood or soaked with water, the wood soaked with water, the sacrifice with water, till the water filled the ditches. And this man of God has called fire down out of heaven. He called on the fire of God to come down before all the children of Israel, before all 450 prophets of Baal, devour the sacrifice, lick the water up out of the ditches. He had all 450 prophets of Baal and their families killed because they led the children of Israel. They led God's children away from the things of God. They led them into a, a type of idol worship, which an idol worship is anything that you put before God. And he had all of them killed. And here on the hills of this great victory, we have chapter 19. Ahab the king, he went to Jezebel and he told her what Elijah had done. And in verse number 2 of 1 Kings chapter 19, the Bible says that Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, we're going to emphasize those words just a little bit. When he saw that, he arose and went for his life. He came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I'm not better than my father's. As he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. He looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. 
In verse number 8, he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. He came hither into a cave and lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. The children of Israel forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. They seek my life to take it away. He said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altar, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. The Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Maloha, shalt thou anoint to be a prophet in thy room. It shall come to pass that him that escaped the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel." All the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. Thank you. You may be seated. The same man who called that there would be neither dew nor rain, and there was not dew on the ground nor rain for a span of three and a half years. The man who was so in tune with God that he called God himself down in a fire and devoured all of the sacrifice. The same man who went and had all 450 false prophets of Baal killed, removed from the children of Israel. The same man that in chapter 18, verse 46 says that the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. The same man is now on the run because one woman said, I'm going to kill you. Everybody in this room has seen God do some amazing things. God has answered prayers for everybody in here who has ever called on his name. God has done great and mighty miracles for everybody who has ever lived on this planet. God has done things for you. God has done things for me. There's not a person in here who has not been blessed. There's not a person in here who has not had prayers answered. There's not a person in here who God has not done great things for you. Isn't it amazing how quickly we can forget God's faithfulness? Isn't it amazing how quickly we can forget God's goodness, God's power, God's strength? Isn't it amazing how quickly we can forget God's love for us? One of the most dangerous times in the life of a Christian. Are you listening? One of the most dangerous times in the life of a Christian, just like Elijah, is right after a great spiritual victory. The most dangerous time in the life of the child of God is right after a great spiritual victory. What we see when we look here at Elijah ought to stand as a warning to all of us. See, Elijah looked at yesterday's victory as though it were the final battle. 
Elijah looked at yesterday's victory as though it were sufficient for today's struggle. Sufficient for the day is the evil thereof. Elijah had his eyes on God yesterday, but today his eyes are on Jezebel. Yesterday he had his eyes on the God of his strength, the God of his salvation, the God of his power, the God of his security, the God of his fortress. Yesterday in his showdown when he called fire down from heaven was with these 450 prophets of Baal. Yesterday he had his eyes on God as being greater than anything on the planet. And God used him in a great and mighty way. But just because Hazael went and told Jezebel, look what he did. Jezebel said, I'm going to kill you. Today he's lost all focus of God. And he had his eyes focused on this Jezebel. When crisis comes, when the enemy knocks on the door, it's almost by nature that we see the size of the enemy. When the trial comes, the storm, the disaster, it's almost by nature that we see the size of the trial or the size of the enemy that stands before us when we should be remembering the size of our God. We should be remembering the things that he's already done for us. We should be remembering the storms that he's already calmed, knowing that this one's no different. We should be remembering the mountains that he's already moved, knowing that this is just another mountain. But we get our eyes focused on the problem. What we see is the enemy. We see the storm coming. We see the mountain that stands before us. And we get so focused on the enemy, which is the problem here with Elijah, you focus on the enemy, you lose sight of the size of your God. Knowing that your God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you can ask or think. Because of where our focus is, we become afraid. We become fearful of the storm, fearful of the trial, fearful of the situation. That's the same thing that we see with Elijah. Elijah became afraid, and the Bible says that he ran. See, fear is not an action. Fear is a reaction. Fear is a reaction to circumstances, just like faith is not an action. Faith is a reaction to the power of the Word of God. Faith is a reaction to the book. Faith is a reaction to what you believe about the Word of God. Fear is a reaction to what you think. Fear is a reaction to what you see. What we see is that he saw Jezebel say, I'm going to kill you by this time tomorrow. And because of that, this reaction is fear. So fear is a source of spiritual depression. It's not a symptom. It's actually the source. Fatigue. Fatigue is another source of spiritual depression. You need to get some rest. You need to sleep every once in a while. It's like pot calling the kettle black, I know, but I'm doing the best I can. You, you need to get some rest. Elijah has spent hours on Mount Carmel, expending physical and emotional energy. He spent all that out of his body. He's traveled from Jezreel to Beersheba, which is about a 100-mile trip. He is emotionally and he is physically exhausted. Can I tell you this morning that fatigue clouds your mind? Fatigue causes you to, to lose grip on reality. Fatigue takes things from you. I don't have time to cover this, but I'm going to give you a couple of statistics. It says that 50 to 70 million Americans suffer from chronic sleep disorders. One in three, one in three, that's, that's one-third of us in here. One in every three of all American adults gets less than seven hours of sleep per night. That's conflicting because I read another story that said your body doesn't require but six hours sleep every 24 hours, and I count on that one. 
This study says that one in three get less than seven hours of sleep. Uh, extensive sleep studies now underway show that sleeplessness is connected to cancer, cardiovascular disease, mental health, and even obesity. One of the standout findings from sleeplessness and sleep disorders is that it says when a person goes 17 hours without sleep, that our brain function, our mental capacity, our reaction time is that of someone who has an alcohol blood content level of 0 0.05. 0 0.05 is considered to be driving while impaired. Since most states set 0 0.08 as the legal limit and you're considered officially drunk, a person that goes 24 hours without sleep, the statistics say that they function the same as a person who has a blood alcohol content of 0.1. That's 0.02 greater than the level considered to be legally drunk. The study says that most people are aware of the dangers of drinking and driving, but they don't realize that drowsy driving can be just as fatal. Like alcohol, sleep exhaustion slows reaction time, decreases awareness, impairs judgment, increases your risk of crashing. According to the National Sleep Foundation, an average of 100,000 crashes per year are caused by fatigued drivers. 55% of these drowsy driving crashes, you say that too many times, you get all messed up. These drowsy driving crashes are caused by drivers under the age of 25. Then they give this list of identifiers, difficulty in focusing. Frequent blinking. Eyelids heavy. Anybody ever drive and say, well, if I could just close my eyes just for a minute. <laughs> Knowing if you do, next time you open them, you're probably in heaven. <laughs> Daydreaming or wandering, disconnected thoughts. Trouble remembering the last few miles driven. Come on, I ain't the only one in the house. Saw an exit sign and looked and said, how in the world did I get here? Last thing I remember, I was in Atlanta. I'm almost to Hogansville. How did I get down here? That, that's it. Well, anyway. So in addition to being a serious enemy of, of our health and our mental well-being, sleeplessness is a source of spiritual depression. Sources and symptoms are not the same thing. Treating the symptoms does you no good. You must treat the source of the problem. If you've got a cold and because of that cold you have a bad cough, you can take cough medicine. It'll help suppress the cough for a little while, but it won't get rid of the cough. To get rid of the symptom, you must get rid of the source. To get rid of the cough, you must get rid of the cold. Everybody know what I'm talking about. You're on the same page. You have to treat the source of a problem, not just the symptoms. Craig Edwards says that there's many people suffering with depression. They don't even know it. Family and friends realize that there's a problem, but they don't know what it is. People no longer want to do the things that they've always enjoyed doing. Everything seems to be difficult. This comes out of his book. Everything seems to be difficult, even things that are taken for granted and done without even thinking. Things as simple as getting out of the bed in the morning. Things as simple as making decisions or doing your normal daily chores. He says all those things become a challenge. One of the sources of spiritual depression is detachment. It's isolation or withdrawal. You see it again there with Elijah. Elijah began to fear because of his fear. He, he took his eyes off God. He became afraid. Because he became afraid, it says that he ran. He became focused on the enemy. Then he became fatigued as he ran away from the enemy. But then he went and he isolated himself under the juniper tree. It says he left his servant. and He went on out on a journey. He got by himself. See, what he did is he avoided contact with people. 
One of the things that people do dealing with any form of depression, including spiritual depression, is they begin to isolate themselves from other people. They isolate themselves from their spouse. They isolate themselves from their children. They isolate themselves from their church. They isolate themselves from their friend. They isolate themselves from the people that love them. The people that want to help them. The people that would do anything for them. They begin to isolate themselves and separate themselves from it. Then they begin to think kind of a sense of, hopelessness they get in that stage of of despondency it's just i'm here this is life this is the way it is and it's just not gonna get any better i'm just caught right here in this that they can't see out of either side all they focus on the problem say this is the way it is and it's just not gonna get any better when people isolate themselves they become an easy target for the enemy. When the wolf comes to the flock of sheep, the wolf doesn't just come in and try to catch a sheep. He looks for the little sheep that's weak, not feeling too good, and has singled himself out, and that sheep is a goner. The wolf comes and put to steal, to kill, and to destroy. When you begin to isolate yourself, remove yourself from those that love you, remove yourself from church, and put yourself alone, you set yourself up as an easy target for the enemy to creep in unaware and destroy your life. Elijah lost his will to live. Fear has caused fatigue. It's clouded his judgment. He says, Lord, just, just take my life. I'm done. I'm the only one left. Just take my life. Get, can I give you something right here just to maybe help somebody? And I don't care what Joel Osteen says. We do not overcome spiritual depression by simply thinking positive thoughts. There's more to it than that. If you could think your way out of it, nobody would be in it. If you could think your way into being wealthy, there wouldn't be any poor people. If you could think your way out of a storm, wouldn't be anybody in there. If you could think your way into being happy, every one of us in this place would be ridiculously, annoyingly happy. If that's all there was to it. But it's more than that. People aren't depressed because they're hopeless. People are hopeless because they're depressed. You can't simply think your way out of it. Detachment and separation leads to deception. Elijah said, I'm all alone. There's none left but me. I'm the only one still in this fight. Elijah became so focused on himself and his own problem that that's all he could see. People battling with depression begin to get focused on their problem and drowning in that little sea right there so they can't think of anything else, and they can't help it. It's not that they want to be there. They just need help getting out of there. Uh, Elijah said, I'm all alone. And God said, <laughs> I got 7,000 over there in Israel. It's not about the need of Baal. You just go anoint these men. I'll take care of all this. So we have fear, which comes because he forgot the size of his God. He focused on yesterday. He, fo he, he, he forgot yesterday's victory, and he became focused on today's problem. Yes. And we have fatigue, that thing which clouds our judgment. That's because he didn't get sufficient rest. And, and then we have hopelessness, which causes us to give up. Hopelessness causes you to think things are never going to be any better. I'm never going to get out of this. I'd be better off if I just wasn't alive. Yes. So how do you deal with it? Well, 
Look again at the text and see how God handles the situation. Interestingly enough to me, what God shows me here is that the first step in overcoming spiritual depression is addressing our physical needs. You, you look at it. Look at the text. What you see there in verse number 5 is the first thing you see is that he fell asleep. He was physically and emotionally exhausted. In order to get any better, the first thing his body had to do was get some rest. So God let him rest. But then God sent an angel to, to wake him up. And what did he tell him to do? Arise and eat. So he got up and it says that he ate and he drank. But then he went back to sleep. So you see that he got some more rest. And God let him rest some more. And then he sent the angel and he got him up again. And what did he say? Arise and eat for the journey is too great for thee. So again, he got up and he ate. Proper diet, healthy exercise, and adequate rest are some of the first steps in dealing with any type of depression including spiritual depression. But then there's the isolation. <clears throat> Elijah's issue wasn't as much as that he felt alone as that he felt responsible. A lot of people dealing with depression, they, they get caught up in, it's, it's my fault that my family's having to deal with this. It's my fault that, that my friends, is, it, they, they become thinking that all of the problems around them and the problems they're about, that becomes my fault because I'm pulling everybody down, everything down, so they isolate themselves. But, but God said, what are you doing here? I've done great things for you, mighty things for you. I've won victories for you. I've won battles for you. I've stood before all of Israel. I've took out 450 prophets of Baal. I came down in a fire out of heaven and licked the water out of the ditches for you. I have done great and awesome and mighty things for you. Let me just bring it 2019. I have saved your soul. I have forgiven all of your sins. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. I have reached into the fires of hell picked you up, blown the smell of smoke off. I've given you an eternal home in glory. I've done everything that you need. None of your sins will ever be remembered again. Cast away into the sea of forgetfulness. I've done everything for you. What are you doing here? Why are you down here as if though you have no God? What are you doing here? To Elijah, it's like you of all people. One of the greatest prophets of the Bible. One of the most powerful men to have ever lived. This man who had great strength and courage yesterday. What are you doing here today? Why are you sitting here feeling sorry for yourself under this juniper tree? Have you ever been somewhere Physically or spiritually. Have you ever been somewhere that you knew God didn't want you there? Hello, don't raise your hands. Some of us, if the truth was known, we'd have to crawl out of this building under the pews. Have you ever been physically or spiritually in a place that you knew God didn't want you there? Well, let, let, me, let me offer some help if you find yourself there, if you ever happen to be in one of those places. Very few, if any, of our spiritual lessons are learned on the mountaintop. 
Most of our spiritual lessons are learned on our knees down in the valley. Most of our spiritual lessons put us in a valley because that's what drove us to this book. And that's what drove us to our knees. It's funny, I got a text from Tim Tidwell this morning talking about how the storm had blown the tree down over on Oakside. And ironically enough, it was an oak tree that blew down on the building. And how it had taken out the power poles and done some things from there. And he said, wouldn't you know it, I'm preaching on storms this morning. He's preaching on storms and valleys. And he texted me back. He was going to use this. I said, let me give you some hope while you're down in those storms and in those valleys. He's going to use some things from Elijah and some valleys and some storms. If you read this book, Elijah went through a lot of storms. He went through a lot of trials, a lot of troubles. But the last time you'll ever see him in this book, he's standing on a mountain. The last time you'll ever see him, he's at the Mount of Transfiguration, standing there with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It doesn't matter how far the valleys go and how long they last and how dark they are. It all ends on a mountaintop. Well, that's all free. Life will get better. Valleys are a part of life. They're part of the training experience. They're not the final destination. Life will get better. You, you look at Elijah, matter of fact, if you look over there on that mountaintop now, he's no longer running from a Jezebel. He's with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's in the strength and power of God. He, he's no longer in fear of the enemies of the world. But, but it came at a point in his life when he hit spiritual depression, and here's what finally had to happen. He just had to listen for a still, small voice. God wasn't in the wind or the earthquake, and he wasn't in the fire. Psalm chapter 46, verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. That voice started out with one simple question. What are you doing here? None of us in this room are immune to spiritual depression. Not one person in this building is immune to doubt. If you're beating yourself up because you've doubted God over something... You're in good company. Don't let it beat you up. None of us in this place are immune to failure. Some of the super spirituals might say they never have, but they're a lie. As long as you live in this flesh. Every battle that we seem to face, every problem, every crisis that comes in our life, everything, are you listening? Everything that you deal with in this life is on a horizontal plane. If you're having problems in your marriage, that is a horizontal relationship. If you're having a problem in your job, that is a horizontal relationship. If you're having problems with your finances, that is a horizontal need. If you're having a problem with friends, a problem with neighbors, a problem with people, if you're having problems, all of those are horizontal needs. And the way to fix every one of them is to work on your vertical relationship. Only God can take care of all these horizontal issues. Only God can take care of all your problems. Only God can be your strength to support everything you need. So how do you handle every situation in your life? You draw closer to God. You do what becomes very difficult in a depressed time. You get up and you make yourself read this book. Anybody ever found it hard to get up in the morning and do what you know you ought to do? Anybody ever found it hard to get up even 10 minutes early 
and spend time reading this book before you go to work? Anybody ever find it hard to get on your knees and pray? Anybody ever find it difficult to talk to God? It's not because of him. It's because of us. We're, we're the ones that separated. We're the ones with the problem. You know how to get over them? It's a vertical relationship. You saturate yourself with this book. And men ought always to pray. Pray without ceasing. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. God has the answer to overcome any type of depression. God has the power. God has the strength. God has the ability. God has everything we need. So Craig Edwards says, it's not a sin. It's not something to be ashamed of when we struggle as a Christian, even with depression. I'm still in this side of his book, if you want to get it and read it. But he says that on the day that we got saved, on the day we become a child of God, we were born again. We know that Jesus said that which is flesh is flesh. That which is spirit is spirit, right? So when we got born again, we became born in the spirit. On that day, it was the spirit that changed, not the flesh. The flesh is going to change one day, but today it's still the same. So it was the spirit that changed. The flesh still gets cancer. The flesh still gets diseased. The flesh still gets tired, still gets weak. The flesh has to still deal with the very everyday things of life. As long as we live in these bodies, all of this stuff will be a part of life. Because it's all part of the flesh. It doesn't mean that there's no hope. It just means you need to address the source. So Elijah was depressed. So was Jeremiah. Another one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament became so depressed that he said, I'm quitting the ministry and I'll never speak the name of the Lord again. Jeremiah. David, twice in Psalm chapter 42 and again in Psalm chapter 43, he said, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? David was depressed. John the Baptist, the man that baptized Jesus, and saw God as he parted the cloud and said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. John the Baptist sent friends and said, Go over and find that Jesus and ask him, Art thou the one or do we look for another? Signs of depression. Great men of the Bible. Everybody has seasons of doubt. Everybody has seasons of depression. But there is hope. There is victory. And the victory is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Focus on the victories. I ask you often and I ask you this morning. God ever done anything for anybody in here? If you raise your hand, focus on those things. Remember those things. Oh, I know we all remember the time when God reached further down than we could reach up and reached down and pulled us out of the fires of hell and saved our soul and did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. But he's done more than that. He's shown up. Anybody ever been in a valley you thought you'd never get out of, been in a storm that you thought you'd never, you prayed and you wept and you're in the storm, and all of a sudden... It's kind of like that driving experience I talked about. When you get down the road and, and you can't remember where you've been. Have you ever been that way in life? Have you ever one day you're having a really good day and all of a sudden you remember that storm that you were in a few weeks, sometimes even a few months back? You remember how bad it was? You remember when you were crying and praying and begging God to get you out 
And now here you are on a mountain. It all went away, and you ain't even realized it until now. And you have to look back and say, God, I am so sorry. You got me out of that so subtly, I didn't even see it coming. Do you know he can do that again? What he's done once, he can do again. So we focus on past victories. We focus on the things that that God has done that brought us out. We focus on that because it reminds us of how big God is. How able God is. If you focus on the problem, you'll stay in your depression. Because your problem becomes bigger than your God. Could I have you stand this morning? I, I I don't know. I just preach what God gives me. But I do know a lot of people sometimes feel like they have no hope. I do know that the enemy will tell you there is no hope. The enemy will tell you you have no way out of this. The enemy will tell you that you are defeated. Your marriage is defeated. Your friends are defeated. Your job is defeated. Your finances are defeated. The enemy will tell you you're done. You have no way out. The enemy will tell you that life is not worth living. The enemy will take you to the brink of pulling the trigger on your own head. Matter of fact, some people don't get help, and that's how far they go. The enemy will tell you that your God is not enough. The enemy is a liar. God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. So I'm going to ask you this morning, if you need any help in any type of depression, if you just need God to help you in a storm, you need God to help you out of a spot, if you have a family member that needs help out of a spot, if you have a friend, if you have a co-worker, if you have a child, you have a grandparent, if you have anybody in your life that you know needs prayer right now, you have anybody in your life that you know is struggling with depression, you have anybody in your life that's in a storm, they're in a valley, they need somebody to reach down and get them up, hey, pray for them. Ask God to use you. Do you know one of the greatest ways... To get out of your situation? Do you know the best way in the world to stop feeling sorry for yourself? Do you know the best way in the world to get help in your own life? Is to help somebody else. Make yourself get up and go do something for others. Go be a blessing to somebody. Go do something for somebody. You start helping others. You start seeing how bad their problems is before you know it. You done drove down the road and you're at that spot where you realize God's done got you out of your stuff and the way he got you out of it is because you came out here and you started looking at other people's problems helping them. One of the best ways you can help them is to pray for them. Ask God to use you to be a blessing to them. Ask God to use you to be a light in the dark spot for them. People in depression just need some hope. They just need somebody with a light to show up and get close to them. They just need somebody to come by and put their arm around them and pull them by and tell them, I love you. God is enough. They just need help. God, help us. Help them. Help us be a blessing to them. If I could have heads bowed, eyes closed, I'm going to ask all of you to be praying. I'm going to ask Christians right now to be praying. If you're a Christian in this place, you thank God for your salvation. But I want you to be praying that if there's any lost in this building, that the Holy Spirit this morning would speak to them, that the Holy Spirit would do mighty things. If you're in here this morning, you've never trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. The Bible says that hell is your home. Anybody that ever goes to hell goes there by choice 
Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The Word tells us, none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus is the way. Jesus hung up on Calvary's cross and shed his own blood for remission of my sin and your sins. And the blood is enough. God is offering the free gift of salvation through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Every person will make one or two choices. I choose Jesus Christ. I choose salvation. I choose heaven. Or I reject the free gift, which means you accept hell. So nobody will go to hell on God's account. You have to choose hell to go there. If you've never trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior this morning, are you willing to ask the Lord to save you? I, I don't have a little magic prayer for you. I'm just telling you, you can ask the Lord to save you this morning. You must confess your sins. The Bible says it must be a confession of your mouth. You must say, Lord, I am a sinner. You can ask him, Lord, will you come into my heart and forgive me of my sins? Will you save my soul in Jesus' name? Oh, it doesn't matter. This conversation between you and God. You can, you can tell him, God, I don't want to go to hell. I did. I told him that. I don't want to go to hell. I just want to be saved. You can put it in the words however you want. But you confess your sins and you trust in Jesus Christ to save your soul. And he is faithful and just to do so. And if you've asked Christ to save you this morning, you're just as much a child of God as anybody else in this place because of what Christ has done for you and because of the gift that you've received. I want to ask you real quick, heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around. And Lord, don't be ashamed. We've had one saved already this morning. We had three hands raised in here on Wednesday night. I wonder if there's any hands this morning to lift your hand and say, I've trusted Christ as my personal Lord and Savior this morning. Nobody will come to you. Nobody will point you out. I just want to pray for you and pray with you. I want to rejoice. Anybody raise your hand high? People are standing. It'd be hard for me to see. By our own testimony, that would make us all children of God, washed in the blood. That means we all got an awful lot to be thankful for. Amen. That means that we all have the same hope. We all have the same help. Don't let the enemy beat you up. Don't let the enemy tell you you're not good enough. Don't let the enemy tell you there's no hope in your life. God is able. Whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're going through, whatever type of depression of all the different types there are, whatever it is that the enemy is telling you, life will never get any better. That's a lie from hell. That's a lie from hell. Saturate yourself in the Word of God. Spend time with godly influence, godly people. Don't isolate yourself. Is anybody still listening? Do not isolate yourself. Do not spend your time alone. Do not spend time cooped up in an office or in a room or, or in a house by yourself. Do not isolate yourself. You make yourself an easy target for the enemy. Get yourself with friends at church. Get yourself with people that, that you know are prayer warriors and you pray with them. Go to dinner with them. If you know somebody struggling, take them somewhere. Take them to dinner. Take them to a lake. Hey, if you're on a mountaintop, walk along some, beside somebody that's in a valley and say, come on and let me pray with you. Because if you're on a mountain and you keep walking, sooner or later the mountain goes into a valley. Yours is coming. 
You'll need somebody to come pick you up. Amen. If I could do something real quick, we will close from down here at the altar. Um, how are we doing on time? Oh, better than average. And I'm on, I'm on, we're going to do something very important. Jason, if you don't mind, if you could get all of the mixed people. We've got the mixed middle school. Actually, we've got the Emerge Middle School program. We'll be leaving here in the morning. And they're going to be traveling quite a ways. They're traveling up to Tennessee. They'll be there all week. This is our middle school. we got 30-something, um, 35 going to the mixed program, our middle schoolers. Also, the, all the leaders, all you guys have come. you got all your middle school students in here. Um, all the ones that are in here that are going on the trip, I want all of them down front. How many of you know that the enemy would absolutely love to destroy that? How many of you know he would love to take that out? He would love to take out any one of these leaders. He would love to take out any one of your children. He, he, would, he would love to break the heart of this church by doing something devastating to our children. But we're not going to allow that. I believe in the power of prayer. I believe in the power of God. I'm going to ask you guys to turn. I'm going to ask this church to come gather around this group right here. We're going to pray for a hedge of protection about them as they travel. They'll be in four different vehicles traveling up, four different vehicles traveling back down. They'll be up there all week, and I think it's worthy of our prayer. So I'm going to ask the church if we come gather around them. I'm going to get a couple people to pray when everybody gets down here.